Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Well, thank you, Sheila. If you wouldn't mind um, just introducing yourself um, so that our congregation will will know a little more about you and who you are. Sure. Uh, I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire. I am the host of the Bear Marriage Podcast and bearmarriage.com, a very large website that focuses on Christian views of sexuality and marriage. Uh, I'm the author of many books in most recently, The Great Sex Rescue, which was based on a survey that we did of 20,000 predominantly evangelical women to see how uh, there may be certain teachings that are common in the church that actually end up hurting uh, women's marital satisfaction and other issues in marriage and urging us to get back to what Jesus really intended and, and to really delve into what Jesus really meant for intimate relationships. And we followed that up with surveys of men. Um, we've got other books coming out, but we're really looking at, at developing healthy, evidence-based, biblical look at marriage and sex. Oh, I, I was so struck by your book. It's been so helpful. I I would be holding a copy, but I just let somebody borrow it like two days ago. I, I'm always <laughs> giving it out. I don't um, even have one here to hold up. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> but it's so helpful. And I love your approach with data. It's, it's so the evidence is so clear when you have mm-hmm. such a broad, a powerful survey. And it just backs up things that I see in premarital and marital counseling meetings and interactions I have with folks, um, especially folks who have grown up in a kind of res- more restrictive church context. Tell me why this topic has become so important for you, why why you got into this kind of work and 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 why you, you've put so much passion behind it. Well, nobody grows up thinking I want to be the Christian sex lady because that's just really weird. Um, <laughs> I started writing about marriage in uh, in 2008 on my blog. And the more I talked about um, more about sex, the more my traffic grew. And so it kind of morphed into that, but it was never intended to be that. But what I found is that um, I increasingly was getting comments from women, but also from men who were finding that that there were there were roadblocks they just couldn't get over. And when you dug down to the root of it, the problem was not that they didn't have enough good information, because I was given lots of good information. There's lots of good information out there. It was that the stuff that they had been taught, the foundational stuff was rotten. And, and we can't have healthy marriages. We can't have healthy intimacy with our spouses until we address the foundation. And Jesus tells us that over and over again. You know, if you if you build on sand, it's going to collapse. We need to build on the rock. And unfortunately, what I've heard over and over again from people is that a lot of the messages that we've grown up with, with, with some of the negative aspects of purity culture, um, with a lot of the ideas of, of men, especially being more important than women, actually ends up hurting both men and women and makes that intimacy that God designed us for almost impossible to find. Absolutely. So, so this has been talked about taught in church, especially some of these unhealthy things, you know, as I was reading your book, I'd often come across excerpts of books that have been recommended to me or I've seen, but I actually hadn't ever read, which I was grateful for, as I found in your book, that some of the (laughs) unhealthy things that had been instilled in people. So, 
So why do you think it's important or helpful to talk about this now in the church in a in and frame it in a in a better way or to give some language, you know, talk about mm-hmm. sex in a church context makes some people nervous, right? Yes. Um, why why is it important? I think sex is foundational. It is. It's it, you know, um well, first of all, it's foundational to the human species, you know, we kind of need it. Right. Um, but more than that, God made sex as this amazing pinnacle of intimacy, um, where we really do experience one another. God actually uses sexual imagery to compare how he feels about us. And so there is this sense where he created sex to be this deep knowing. We see that in Genesis 4 verse 1. It's a strange verse. Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived a son. And I remember reading that in junior high and laughing because I was thinking, you know, God is just embarrassed of using the real word there. So he just says Adam knew. But what if God is telling us something there? Because the Hebrew root for to know is the same root of the words that David uses again and again in the Psalms when he says, search me and know me, O God. Mm-hmm. Know my inmost heart. Know my going out and my coming in. Know everything about me. And God is telling us that sex is supposed to be this intimate experience. And yet, mm-hmm. too often in our culture, but also in, within the evangelical church, we have taken sex from being an expression of intimacy and made it into a female obligation and a male entitlement. Mm. And that destroys intimacy. It destroys what God intended. And when we take away something precious that God intended, I don't think that pleases God (laughs) and it hurts people. And so we need to come back to what intimacy really was meant for and what it's supposed to look like. That's so helpful. Yeah, I think... I'd love for you to say a little bit more about that idea of, of, of God's design for intimacy and what that might look like in comparison to maybe how culture or churches have thought about intimacy in the past, because I think we often have much too narrow of a definition of intimacy. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Well, first of all, I find it so funny that so often we use intimacy and sex as synonyms. Mm-hmm. Because often, and and we often do that because we don't want to say the word sex and intimacy just sounds so much better, but intimacy and sex are not synonyms. First of all, there's a whole lot of sex that is not intimate. There's a whole lot of sex that can be dehumanizing. It can be degrading. Um, In our survey of 20,000 women, uh, 18% of women said that their primary emotion after having sex was feeling used. Mm. If you feel used, that's not intimate. You know, so, so there's a lot of sex that isn't intimate, but we can also have a lot of intimacy without having sex. And those, the the intimate parts of relationships, that's what we're designed for. And intimacy is when we are able to be vulnerable with another person, that we're able to let them see who we really are. And don't all of us long to be truly seen and yet also truly accepted. Isn't that the one of the primary longings that God has given us? And in Jesus, we find that, that true, that true acceptance, and he knows who we really are. But he also created us to live in community in that, and our churches should thrive in that kind of community, but it cannot happen without a degree of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. 
and safe vulnerability. I don't mean full vulnerability where you're made to confess all your sins on command or, you know, you're told, um, uh, that, that you need to enter into un- unhealthy power dynamics. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a reciprocal vulnerability, a mutuality where we're able to let people in and we're able to let people see our weaknesses and we're not trying to wear masks. And that's what all of us should have in our relationships. And that's especially true during sex. I mean, we literally are naked. (laughs) So it's especially true during sex. But for sex to be intimate, it means that you have to, you have to enter that bedroom or wherever it is with all of who you are, which means that you need to matter. Both people need to matter. Sex can't be just using someone. Because if you're using someone, you say, you don't matter. I just get to use you. That's why sex can't be an obligation either. No, sex is something which is freely entered into. Because if it's if it's an obligation, if it's something that she must provide or that he must provide, no matter what they are feeling, then it's no longer two people bringing everything they are. And so we need to get back to this idea of what it means to be known Um, to be able to let myself be known, but also to really care about other people and really get to know them too. And that can exist in all kinds of different relationships, but it's something we're not always very good at. Right. Right. Oh, that's so helpful. So what, what, what advice maybe would you have for churches as they're trying to think about how do we navigate this together? How do we create a culture of healthy intimacy as a community to create some of that healthy vulnerability? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, so much of it gets back to our view of what it means um, to live, to both to live in community, but also, also to understand what it means to to live under Christ and be saved. Because I think we often see salvation as a one time thing, right? Like I'm saved, and that's really all that needs to happen. <laughs> But no, we are constantly working on our salvation with fear and trembling. We're supposed to be growing in Christ, which means we are all still going to have issues. And having issues does not mean that you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Having fear and doubt does not mean that you have a lack of faith. Mm-hmm. And I think often um, we judge people and we judge ourselves. And we think if I am not perfect, then I won't be accepted or people will think badly of me. And if we are in a church where that happens, that's not good. And so we need to stop that from happening. If in your small groups, your prayer times are just excuses for gossip. Oh, pray for Susie. Boy, let's all pray for Susie. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. you know, like we need to learn how to share our needs without judging each other or judging ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that that doesn't mean that we're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and so there needs to be a lot more uh, openness for the fact that we're all on journeys, right? And it's okay to be on a journey. But also, and this is the flip side of it, the idea that you are on a journey, but you're supposed to be moving. Mm. So, so we can't use that as an excuse to stay stuck in, in sin. Um, But it's not willpower that gets us out of sin. It really isn't. It's the Holy Spirit and it's community. 
Because as we're able to be vulnerable, as we're able to really open up, we can figure out why we are so drawn to these sins, why we can't seem to defeat certain things. And often it's because we have this need inside of us that we've never been able to share with anyone. So, you know, um, let's just take pornography because this is a huge one for many people, for, for guys, especially, but also increasingly for women. Let's say you're 13 years old, you're on a school bus and a friend shows you porn for the first time on, on their phone and you're disgusted, but you're also aroused and you're drawn to it. And that's normal to be aroused by the way, even if you're disgusted, it's called arousal non-concordance. And I just want to put a plug in here because people need to understand this. Your body can be aroused even when your mind doesn't want to be. And that doesn't mean that you wanted it. That can happen during sexual assault. Um, and, and sometimes because we got aroused, we think I'm a pervert. Mm or I wanted this, or I consented. Mm -hmm. You know, showing porn to a minor is an offense in most states. Mm -hmm. It is a form of sexual abuse. And so if as a minor, you were showed porn, especially by an adult, that was an assault that was done to you. And if you got aroused, that did not mean that you consented to see the porn. But often what happens is you see it, you're curious, you don't know what to do. And so you start seeking it out. And, you know, it's comforting. You get endorphins released. You feel you feel important. Porn allows you to feel strong without having to act strong, without having to do anything to be strong. And so now next time you feel insecure or you feel some negative emotion that you don't want to feel, you turn to porn because it makes you feel strong. Mm -hmm. And you do that when you're 14, when you're 15, when you're 16, when you're 17. And suddenly you're an adult, you're 29 years old in a marriage for four years. And every time you feel insecure or rejected in that marriage, you have this insatiable need to turn to porn. Mm -hmm. And yes, that's a betrayal, but could it also be because you never learned how to deal with insecurity and with rejection because you learned to, to numb it with pornography. And so when we're able to say, you know what, maybe my root issue here, and I know that I'm hurting my spouse, I'm not trying to downplay that porn is not acceptable. But when we understand that the root issue might actually be that I don't know how to handle these negative emotions. Mm -hmm. I'm scared of them. I don't know how to talk about them. <laughs> you know, I don't know what to do with insecurity. And so I would rather run away from them. Well, when you stop running away, when you actually let yourself sit in those negative emotions, when you start sharing those negative emotions with your spouse, when you let your spouse in, when you let your friends in, when you let Jesus in, then a lot of these addictive behaviors are easier to deal with and stop. Hmm. Well, it's so helpful. It's so helpful to think about it that way and frame it that way. You know, think about even like back in the desert fathers were, were grappling with this idea that the, that, that lust came from this desire for, for intimacy and an unhealthy response to intimacy. And I think mm -hmm. I love the language you use about, about a desire to be strong or this sense of insecurity. And so you, you turn to this um, unhealthy response mm -hmm. because you're just numbing those feelings rather than moving towards um, help and dealing mm -hmm. with what's going on, which is why vulnerability is so essential and intimacy is so essential because it, it meets those, those needs. And mm -hmm. growing up in the church, I don't think any of that was ever communicated in a way for me. There is so much of it would seem so baked in shame and all of those mm -hmm. sort of things rather than, hey, there is, there's something within you that desires value and intimacy and being known. And there are healthy ways to see that. And almost it's like you, when you, you feel those desires to be known, 
you think that becomes the, that becomes the sin rather than mm-hmm. responses to it and it's it's so damaging for people so just thank you for the language that you've given given to that um, as you've talked about sexuality and and healthy sexuality what advice do you have for people who are single or maybe those who are divorced or maybe those who have lost a partner you know i think often this conversation stops or only happens uh, with couples um mm-hmm. but if we're talking about intimacy in a much broader scale what advice do you have for for people in those different circumstances well i think first of all it's so important to say that we are created as sexual beings and so if you have sexual feelings if you have urges that doesn't mean that you are in sin. That means that you are human. Um, and what we do with those feelings matters, but having them is not a sin. Um, and it, it's it, it's really, I, I feel very inadequate to speak to this because I've been married since I was 21. And so I cannot relate. So I'm going to say things very aware that I have not walked this myself. And so many people who are walking this, you're probably more able to speak to this. And I know I don't mean to come off as condescending whatsoever, because I know that this is not a journey that I have walked. Um, But I do want to reiterate that there is nothing wrong with having sexual feelings. Um, And Paul himself says, you know, if you're single and you want to get married, that's okay. So You know, if you want to get married, if you want to be partnered again or partnered for the first time, it is okay to seek that out. Um, But in the meantime, maybe we can start to see those sexual feelings that we have as uh, siren calls for us to go deeper and invest more in relationships. And that is also a reminder for those of us in the church who are married to look out for those who aren't. Because when we do social things, who's the first, what's the first thing we do? We, we, we call a couple, you know, when we, when we want to host a board games night, we call couples when we want to have a Euchre tournament or whatever it might be, you know, you call couples. Let's be mindful that our church is not just couples and let's not leave out the people that are no longer coupled or have never been coupled. Um, And maybe let's start thinking differently about what it means to live in community you know, do we all have to live separately? Maybe we should, you know, actually have, you know, more singles getting together, some single moms living together. I don't, let, let's dream big here. But, but we, but, but those sexual feelings are often just a sign that we need more intimacy in our lives. And so maybe as a single person, this might be your chance to invest more in volunteer work, you know, in, in really investing in people's lives who need you um, and feeling a sense of significance in, in feeling that God has put you on this earth, even without a partner to, um, to just do something big that God has prepared good works beforehand for you to do. Ephesians 2.10 tells us. And as we invest in more of those things, God can create such beauty out of our lives and such significance and fullness that hopefully, you know, those sexual feelings, even if you still have them, will be minimized as you see um, that intimacy flourishing in other ways in your lives as well. Thank you. Well, your example earlier about the the 13-year-old on the bus, I think it's probably a story that many people, maybe most people um, can relate to in our culture today. And, and, and then 
uh, a progression that could lead to addiction. So do you have any advice for those who are currently trapped in some form of sexual addiction? Uh, first of all, it cannot be justified in any sense. Hmm. And I often do see in Christian literature a way to justify it. Um, for instance, the Every Man's Battle series of books says that men got there naturally simply by being male, that men sin because of the male nature. Hmm. God did not make men to sin. God did not make men less saved than, than women. God did not give men a smaller portion of the Holy Spirit than he did women. God did not give men a sex drive that cannot be overcome. But when we use language like that, we do excuse it. Even when we say every man's battle, First of all, it's not every man's battle. We've done we've done research surveys on this and it's not. <laughs> Part of the problem, I think, is that we confuse lust with noticing. Hmm. So a lot of men will report that they have a daily struggle with lust. 75% of men do say that on a survey that we did of men. But when you dig down deeper, you'll find that less than half watch porn or lust in any of the situation that situations that we gave them. And so what what's happening is that a lot of people are conflating lusting with noticing a woman is pretty. Think about 12, 13, 14 year old boys for a minute. They're in youth group and they're hearing these messages about how lust is bad and you need to watch where you look. And they're overwhelmed. Because how in the world can they stop noticing? Because they've got all these hormones going in their body and they don't know how to control them. And it is an out of control time. And so I think there's a lot of guys growing up feeling completely and utterly helpless because they think their goal is to never notice that someone is, is sexually attractive because as soon as they've noticed, they've sinned. Mm -hmm. Noticing is not lusting. Lusting is a deliberate action to use someone for your sexual gratification. So it's to, and Jesus even says, whoever looks at a woman with lust, he doesn't say whoever notices a woman. He doesn't say whoever sees a woman. He doesn't say whoever gets attracted to a woman. He says, whoever looks with the intention of lusting, which means that you're holding that image. You're fantasizing about it. You know, you're imagining different scenarios. You're staring at her for your own sexual gratification. Noticing is not lusting. Seeing is not lusting. Those things are not sins. And we should not be putting burdens, especially on teenagers, mm -hmm. <laughs> making yeah. them think that they're sinning when they're not. Because when you feel totally hopeless, then you just figure, well, God's always angry at me. And that's where shame starts. Mm -hmm. And you start numbing it with addictive behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so we need to free people from that idea. Now on the on the other end of the spectrum, so we've got the 12, 13, 14-year-old boys. Let's look at the older ones. What we found is that when guys quit porn, and most guys who have used porn are able to quit porn. Um, when guys quit porn, their marriages, you know, a few years later look pretty much the same as if they had never used it. So we need to stop the idea that porn is going to wreck you forever. Because in most cases, it doesn't. In some, it does. <laughs> but in most cases, it doesn't. So there is hope. There absolutely is hope. Um, but again, what, what we have found is that that hope is found not just in willpower, in trying harder to quit, um, but in opening up and getting and getting 
a Christian community around you where you're allowing yourself to be truly seen. And that also means, by the way, that your wife is not responsible for you quitting. That's that's what we hear a lot is women are told if you had more sex, he wouldn't watch porn. Porn and sex are opposites. Okay, because porn says I am going to use this person for my sexual gratification. And real sex is about I am going to know her. Those are total opposites. And mm-hmm. so one cannot be a substitute for one another. And if if someone has a very pornified view of sex, they're going to have a very difficult time having intimate sex to begin with. <laughs> and so she's already going to feel used and rejected. And she doesn't need to submit herself to demeaning or dehumanizing sex in order to keep him from sinning. Instead, they need to deal with the root issue. <laughs> yeah, well, that's so wonderful. So hopeful. And I should say, I just need to give one caveat. I know I've used a lot of male, female language. That's because most of our resources do that. But increasingly, you know, women are also using pornography. And I would say everything I said about men in porn applies to women in porn too. And so we just need to be cognizant of that fact that this is not only a male problem. Yeah, thank you. Well, so one of the things I love about um, The Great Sex Rescue is you also you point out to some resources and, and how they're unhelpful. I love the, just like personally, I love the little pastoral section of like, instead of saying this, use this language because mm-hmm. you don't even know how some of the language that has just permeated your culture can, you don't even realize it sometimes. And so that's been really mm-hmm. helpful. So thank you for that. Um, but but as you illuminate like resources that are unhelpful, um, you also point to maybe some that are, are helpful. So are there other resources that maybe you could re- recommend for folks who want to learn more about um, a healthy view of sex uh, from a Christian perspective. Sure. So let me point to my own first. Um, sure. So Great Sex Rescue is wonderful if you have come out of uh, evangelical background, grew up in evangelicalism, went to youth group, um, read a lot of marriage books. So we look at how some of those messages can be internalized and can be harmful. If you're just getting married, I do have two books, which are awesome. The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex and The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex. And those are not about tearing down the unhealthy stuff. Those are just, let's just build from the ground up. What does what does great sex look like physically, spiritually, emotionally? Um, uh, and the, so those are really helpful. If those become the bridal shower gifts for the next 10 years, then hopefully in 10 years, nobody will need the great sex rescue because we will have stopped the problem. Um, in terms of people who are really dealing with unwanted sexual behaviors, I really like Jay Stringer's book, Unwanted. I find that really helpful in getting away from the shame-based focus on how to uh, defeat porn, et cetera. Um, Other people, Michael John Cusick wrote a wonderful book specifically about porn. Jay Stringer talks more, talks about stuff other than just porn. But if we're looking at porn, Michael John Cusick's book, Surfing for God, is wonderful. and then there's a whole lot of other books coming out right now, memoirs of, of women who grew up in purity culture, um, talking back to purity culture by Rachel Joy Welcher is really good. Um, but yeah, just books that just help us see that we don't need to be stuck in this shame-based view of sex, whether it's because of addictions or because of messages that we heard growing up, we can actually flourish and understand a really passionate, intimate view of sex, which is what God wanted for us. Excellent. 
Uh, well, finally, uh, how can people follow you, follow your work, support you? You mentioned your website already, but otherwise people can connect or support the work that you're doing. Yes. So baremarriage.com. If you go there, everything is there. So all my social media links, I'm quite, I'm quite active on Instagram, quite funny there and uh, at Twitter and I'm on Facebook. Um, and you can also find access to our courses. We have great courses on how to talk to your kids about puberty and sex um, and on different aspects of making sex great in your relationship. So those are all at baremarriage.com. If you look under courses and all of my books are there too. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, Sheila, thank you so much, uh, for your time in this conversation. Is there anything else you want to add or things we might've missed? Um, no, I just, I'm just so grateful that churches are talking about this. Uh, I think that, that this is how things are going to change, you know, because sometimes our evangelical resources haven't always done the best job. Yeah. But as we start opening up and as we start saying, no, we want better, I think publishers and conferences will listen. And so let's just keep speaking up and let's let's get the better because that is what God wants for us. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.